Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome to episode 90 of Maximize Your Influence. I am a very nasally Steve Olson here, along with Kurt Mortensen. Kurt, how you doing? Hey, good day, good weather, number 90. But you're under the weather. What's up with that? I got a cold. I was actually doing the annual fly fishing trip up in Montana, and it was a beautiful day for fly fishing, which means the weather was terrible, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it was cloudy and... And a lot of rain, and I was cold, and, and I had already been going on six straight weeks of work and you know, not a lot of sleep. So that put me over the edge. But while, while I was fishing, I was fine. I caught, I'm not kidding you, we measured, verified, I got the picture, a 23-and-a-half-inch brown trout, which is pretty good for you fly fishermen. Beat that. It's <laughs> big for anybody. Trout doesn't get that big anymore. But, hey, when you're sick when you're fishing, that's better than being healthy and working, right? Isn't that <laughs> what the saying going? You're probably... Sit there in the river, shaking and shivering, and saying, "I'm fishing." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like this. But then you got sick. Probably worth it. But tw- hey, twenty-three, twenty-three and a half inches. Yeah, oh. twenty-three inches. That's <laughs> that's impressive for yeah. That's something you get deep sea fishing. Yeah, for a trout, that's a, a wild trout in Montana, which I learned in Montana. They they do not stock their rivers with farm fish. Their rivers are only wild fish. So it's pretty impressive. And I learned lots of geeky. Uh, fly fishing statistics and things like that, and it was it was funny. I was asking the the guide because we go guided. It's concierge fishing. I like to joke, and we're we're going down the river. It's a cloudy, overcast day, and we we're just killing it, catching tons of fish out there. It was a great day, and I asked the guide, "Why is the fishing better when it's cloudy?" And he said, "Well, typically the fish feel less vulnerable to predators." So they're they're willing to come out and eat more. They're less cautious. And I said, why is that? Well, you know, when the sun's out, they feel exposed and to eagles and osprey and, and even otters like to eat the fish. I said, oh, that's interesting. So later on in the day, in May in Montana, the weather can change every 15, 20 minutes. So the clouds broke and it was sunny and 65 degrees all of a sudden. And I'm just kind of thinking about what he said. And sure enough, an osprey dies out of the sky, boom, comes up with a fish. <laughs> That's what you get for uh, coming out and getting cocky. So it was pretty, pretty cool. You get to see all of nature. There's bald eagles, there's moose and elk. And uh, it's, it's a pretty cool place. So came back a little sick, but definitely mentally recharged. Did you bring the fish home? Did you have the fish for dinner? We What's catch and release those things. We just oh, uh, I was going to say, we we could cross off the offended list if you didn't catch and release, but now we can't do that. Jeez. No, no. I, I caught a <laughs> lot of fish. <laughs> caught a lot of fish, but uh, we didn't we didn't keep any of them. We went with beef at, at night at the cabin. So uh, That's always a good choice. Yeah, yeah. It was Montana. No, it's <laughs> the beef. So. Fun stuff. There you go, man. So let's charge ahead here. And I, I tend to believe this geeky article moment. Cue the Urkel, by the way. Oh, go Urkel! <laughs> there he is. He's still sticking around. Kurt can't stand it. He tosses and turns at night because Urkel hasn't gone away yet. I wake up screaming in the middle of the night, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> you, now, how does your wife feel about you waking up saying Urkel's name? I mean, that's good. <laughs> 
She thinks something's going on. I'm trying to convince her nothing is, but yeah, that's all another uh, story. That's not, not going to be an easy sell. You better listen to the podcast, Mike. I should study persuasion. I need to fix that. <laughs> you should do that, yeah. <laughs> all right. Anyways, anyway, sorry. So what we're talking about here, Kurt has an article about the smell on airplanes actually affecting our taste buds. And I I think it's true because there's certain things that are just offensive, and I'm a food guy, right? But uh, what, what do we got here, Kurt? Well, but for those who've been reading the Journal of Experimental Psychology, yeah, for those for of fun, you, yeah, you know, they, they talked about how a noisy airplane can affect our taste in food. And we talk a lot about association triggers, how the brain works, and how we react in different situations. And I thought this was really interesting that in noisy situations, and they're categorizing that about eighty-five decibels for those that want to measure that. And this was done with Robin Dando at Cornell University that. She's talking about our multi-sensory properties of the environment. That sound affects the food that we like, that we crave, that we want, how it tastes. And the interesting thing is that there's five different food types. There's sour, sweet, salty, bitter, and umami. Anyway, it's brought from Japanese, and it's supposed to be kind of more of a savory taste. In fact, the definition, which does not help, I'll, re- I'll read it. <laughs> Let's see here. A category of taste in food corresponding to the flavor of glutamates, especially monosodium glutamate. There you go. Okay, so that thanks answers for clarifying. That question. So yeah. <laughs> that is, there's those five categories of food. This is one of them. Basically, I think it's more like tomato juice. He says a lot of times people are craving tomato juice over the beer. And they said it was a phenomenon. The German airline Lufthansa, there you go. <laughs> Notice that passengers were consuming as much tomato juice as beer, and they did a study that showed with the cabin pressure and the noise that people would consume a lot more tomato juice on airlines than they would normally, and that would be in that umami flavor category that you learned a word today. So I just thought it was interesting that all these things, these subconscious triggers that sound actually affected our taste, because we talked about how music affects persuasion and how colors affect persuasion and how taste affects persuasion but now all of a sudden the decibels in an airplane affects what we crave what we want to eat and how things taste i thought that was quite interesting in the world of association triggers so so i didn't i didn't get it then the louder noise does it drive you towards one of those one of those tastes the the umami or whatever it drives you to the umami and less of the sweet ah yeah, I thought that was interesting as far as, A, learning a word today. You know, I haven't heard it before, but a lot of people talk about there's those five tastes, and if you don't get those five tastes, you tend to, that when you eat the five tastes, you're more balanced, you don't eat as much, but that's a whole other scientific study. Well, that makes sense. I had a coworker that uh, a lot of times we'd have these conventions all over the country, and uh, she lived in Los Angeles. She would always post on Facebook that she was just getting hammered on Bloody Marys on the plane. <laughs> <laughs> It's the umami. That's what it is. It's but when they're in the air, it's Bloody Mary time. Yeah, you bring gotta, it on. Got to get your umami. <laughs> umami. Wow. <laughs> I I think that the audience definitely learned something on this podcast. Well, worst case scenario, it's just something fun to say. Umami. It is. It is a little bit fun to say. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, when we talk about food in the future, well, and you know, Italian that kind of stuff, we'll have to throw in the umami because it's a tomato base, right? Uh, not necessarily. I think you get beef and pork in those. It's just kind of a more of a salty, savory, tomatoey, meaty. How's that for just guessing? Sort of flavor. Well, then I did two racks of umami on Sunday on the smoker. <laughs> yeah, I, how did that turn out? Oh, they came out great. I do a, I do the three, two, one method where you 
You smoke them for three hours. Well, you got to put a rub on them, you know, rub heavily. Some people are going to love this. Some people are going to hate it. But you got to tear that membrane off the back side of the ribs because it mm. keeps the flavor from penetrating and it gets hard and crusty. And, you know, restaurants don't take it off. You're like, hey, what is this? So you pull that off. You, you do the rub, smoke them for three hours, pull them off, wrap them in foil. And in the foil, you're going to do brown sugar and honey. Put them back on at 225 for two hours. Pull them off. Unwrap them. Sauce them. And put them back on for about another 45 minutes. And they will be divine. Man, they better be for that amount of work. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> I mean, you're dedicated to your ribs. You're doing something like that. Yeah, it's the three, two, one method. And yeah, you, you, you really can't miss. You can't miss. So some good umami. You gotta love you, Bob. Yeah, you do. I think we do. We're looking for excuses to say it at this point. <laughs> <laughs> well, why don't we move on to the topic for the show today, and we continue our quest to give you a 100% score on the Persuasion IQ test. Go to MaximizeYourInfluence.com and scroll to the bottom of the page, and you'll see a link to take the Persuasion IQ test. You want to know how good of a persuader you are? That's where you can take the test and find out. And we're just like fire selling these answers to you uh, on the podcast here. So we've got another one for Kurt. Kurt, are you ready? Feeling good. Go. Jeopardy music playing in your head. (laughs) We need to find it. Yeah, we got to find it. I mean, the show is not complete until we have that. Okay. (laughs) Here's a question. What's the main thing that offends your audience during first contact? A, pushiness. B, unsolicited small talk. C, did not leave relevant information. D, stayed longer than expected, or E, late for your appointment? Well, I think most of our listeners are thinking, A, the pushiness, which used to be a big challenge, and it still is a big challenge. That's number two. But most persuaders and salespeople are getting pretty smart, knowing that they push a little too hard. That's a little old school. People don't like it anymore. Things have changed. It does not work. It is number two. Number one is that old unsolicited small talk, that gussy chit-chat where you're trying to be the people person before the prospect's seen any benefit of talking to you. They're talking about the weather and the fish on the wall and their family picture and what they ate that night and what they do. People get tired of that. We're busy. Get to the point. We don't want to do the people skills until we know there's a good reason to talk to you. It's the passport, right? That's what gets you. Because it doesn't matter how good the people skills are, how good the, the benefits of the product are. If you didn't have a good, compelling reason to for, for the person to listen to you. I mean, it's just the armor's up. They don't care. I mean, prospects are defensive now. They do. And when they first meet you, looking for every reason not to do business with you. And you've got to probe and find out at least one reason that sounds good to them. And then they start looking for every reason they should do business with you. In fact, the numbers are pretty interesting that 75% of people do not like the gussy, chit-chatty stuff. But here's what's interesting. of those won't stop you even when they're annoyed. They just endure it. They're being nice. They're listening to you. When they're tuning out, not liking you, you're doing the opposite of people's skills or what we'll call anti-suasion. Yeah. And you're actually tuning them out more than turning them on. (laughs) Man, that didn't sound very good. Not turning them on, but anyway, you're (laughs) – how that sound? Anyway, what I'm trying to say is you're – you're repelling them instead of attracting them to you to persuade them. That didn't even work out either. So let's try another one. Yeah. What you're doing is you're, you're – I'm not even going to try it. You're not get, 
I, yeah, I think this one's a no-win for me now. But anyway, <laughs> or here's the one. You're closing the door to persuasion instead of opening it up. Okay, I finally got one. I'm one for four. All right, move on. That was a long, long, tough journey. Uh, Kurt <laughs> had to get his shovel out, and he yeah, got there. I, I mean, that was. are you sweating, buddy? Oh, yeah. I was. I had to work hard on that one. Yeah, way to pull it out, though. So, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I think a couple of those actually help. I mean, there are, there are entire industries that rely on what you were talking about in order to persuade. This is not necessarily bad advice. <laughs> That's true. I guess depends on who, when, and where, and the situation where you're at, to, depending on which one of those you're going to use. Yeah, you got to find the dissonance. That's right. We love our dissonance. <laughs> well, good. Okay, so it's people are offended by the small talk. It's important. Is there is there a way to know? when we've made it through the door. The, the prospect is closed off. Hey, don't give me this small talk crap. Don't tell me about the 23 and a half inch brown trout on the wall. Okay. Yeah, just, good plug. Yeah. Good plug. <laughs> um, I, I want to I have a compelling reason to talk to you. How do we know that we've given that and that it's time to use the people skills, which are necessary. The compelling reason and the feature benefit thing by itself doesn't get it done. The connection on a personal level has to happen. How do we know when the light is green? Well, there's two ways. If they start asking more personal questions, want to get to know you a little better, trying to find out if they're going to trust you and like you, then you can reciprocate. That's a great time to know. You can also tell, too, when they relax a little bit, they're a little more interested, they're leaning forward more, their body language shows that, hey, wait, there might be something here I'm kind of interested. And you can tell in their body language, maybe the questions that they start to ask, that they're interested they like what they hear, the benefits, we can start working on the connectivity, we can start working on the trust, then it's okay to start going and working on those skills instead of starting right out of the door. Okay. I felt like, too, the, the smiles start happening, at least to a degree, and, and there's just a change to the eyes. We can fake a smile or a facial expression, but the eyes really show how genuine it is. Is there anything to that? Yeah, you can see in their eyes. I just think the overall atmosphere is more relaxed. Their demeanor changes to where the wall is coming down. Because you came in, that wall's up. Oh, man, they're going to try to persuade me. They're going to try to sell me. Versus the wall's coming down. Wait a minute. This might help me. I could make some money. I could save money. There's some benefits here. I've been looking for this. Hey, this person's going to be the consultant. Then it's kind of, yeah, the eyes, the atmosphere, the demeanor, or all of the above, you start noticing those things, then let's build a relationship, let's build some trust. You probably feel more like you're having a conversation now at this point instead of you're on stage tap dancing trying to get their attention. Exactly. Yeah. You grab their attention, you've done the what's in it for me, or however you want to label that. Now all of a sudden there's a reason to listen to you. Now you can build your trust. So I've had people approach me with this before. In fact, they got a cheesy network marketing voicemail broadcast yesterday, right? What if I told you you could make a bajillion dollars while bending over backwards and roller skating, you know, in your spare time or whatever, just something ridiculous. Hey, I enjoyed that one. It was quite good. You made a bajillion dollars. <laughs> That's right. Roller skating. Well, you owe me wings. <laughs> That's right. If you got a bajillion dollars laying around, you can afford it. Yeah, let's do some wings. <laughs> yeah, well, we got to do that anyway. Okay, so, I mean, is that cheesy to do the what if I told you? You know what? They're doing it. It must work. <laughs> so, yes, it's cheesy. Yes, it's old school. 
But I think a lot of people like, hey, you know, it works one half of 1% of the time. Let's keep doing it. Versus digging a little deeper, doing it the right way, realizing they could get 3 4 maybe 5% return versus that little cheesy thing. So, yeah, it's got to work because they're doing it, but I don't think the returns can't be that great. Well, the, the blind pig thing, right? Even a blind pig exactly. can find food. I, I think probably this comes down to just, just like almost everything does. And how well do you know your prospect or your audience or the industry that you're prospecting to? Because these people have the same problems. They have the same challenges. And that's the stuff that you pull the leading statements from. Of you know, How would you like to reduce your supply chain costs by X percentage? Or how would you like to get your products delivered uh, you know, a week faster or your money back or something like that? And, and, and I think still most people are going to greet that with a healthy degree of skepticism. Just because they said, well, yeah, that's interesting. You still not, haven't necessarily proven yourself a, a value at one yes. This well, becomes the time to, to get questions in and, and, and to qualify the prospect, isn't it? It is. Get the questions in, qualify the prospect. But you know, realize when you're roller skating backwards or you are in Africa with $500 million and you don't know what to do with it, there's always going to be that percent of the population that's going to call and see what's going on. So... Putting them aside, yeah. if you can ask the right questions, grab their attention, build the interest, give them a reason to talk to you, then from there, let's work on the people skills and the trust. Yeah, and it's that consultative sale that that works by far the best. And I think there's that time when, when you know, okay, I have a, a potentially interested prospect here. They've, they've given me the green light to sort of engage in the sales process here and ask some questions. But with a lot of these people, especially the aggressive personalities, there's that fight for control, right? The sales guy knows I got to ask questions. I got to get to the pain. I got to get the prospect talking. The average sale, the prospect talks 75% and the sales guy talks 25%. And that's what I got to do. I got to control this conversation uh, through questions and get to the pain and then offer the solution at the end of my presentation. And the prospect is the opposite. The prospect is, I got this guy in my office. Yeah, he said something interesting. So I just got to get to his bottom line because he's going to have a bunch of smoke and mirrors and bull crap that I got to wade through before I can see what he really has to offer here. And this is a struggle between – it's a, a struggle since the beginning of time between sales guy and prospect. And I think you – know, I've I've been to his class before. Uh, David Sandler calls that wimp junction where – the the prospect is trying to force the sales guy to say, hey, we're going to do this my way. And where probably, wouldn't you agree, Kurt, like 99 times out of 100, the sales guy says, yeah, okay. <laughs> right? He, he, he doesn't want to offend the prospect. He's happy to just be talking to somebody. And he's mistaking that for, I'm actually going to make some progress here. And I, I get to talk about my product. When in reality, they have to control the conversation and they have to say, well, sure, I can get to those questions. I need to cover a couple of things with you before you know we know if this is even worth it yet or not. I mean, is it, am I in left field here? No, you're right on. A lot of times people call up and they're talking to a salesperson and they're controlling the conversation with the questions. And the salesperson is feeling good because they're talking to someone and answering the questions. But it's the prospect that's controlled the conversation. And the salesperson has never found out the real needs and wants of the person. They have never performed the exam and they're trying to diagnose without having the information, if we use the doctor example. And we see that time and time again where they're not accepting the salesperson as the consultant, as the expert. They're just treating them like a customer service rep answering questions versus 
really letting the they never really let the salesperson get in and get the information that they need. And you could never close that type of sale because you don't have the information to do that. That's where they start throwing darts. Uh, maybe you need this. Maybe you need that. And hoping something sticks versus, hey, give me five minutes. Let me ask a couple more questions to make sure this is a good fit. Taking control and finding out exactly what they need. I think a good general rule here is is whenever you catch yourself telling the prospect things, telling, 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 my product, my product, well, we do this, and did you know that we do that? You probably actually shouldn't be doing a lot of that, right? Unless the, pro- the prospect directly asked you and you, you are conscious of what's really, really happening here. You know, if you're just filling up conversation, if you're just blowing through airtime, with feature benefit, feature benefit. That's not going to go anywhere. That's not how this works. You have to be willing to ask the questions. And, and the funny thing is, it gets back to the IQ question that we're, we're discussing here. That as you do that, as you ask intelligent questions and you begin diagnosing the problem, that's when the prospect feels like you're worth something and that, they're, that you could solve their problem. And that's when it becomes more appropriate to, to do the people skill thing. And really solidify this, and it's going to go somewhere, and it's going to create a sale for you. So when you're telling, telling, well, we do this, we do that, stop yourself. And and, and don't be afraid to ask. Are any of those things of interest to you? I'd, I'd really like to know what your main challenges are in your business today to see how I can help. I mean, I can, we can sit here and talk all day, but tell me a little bit about what you would change about your business right now if you could. And you got to get some answers out. Yeah, simple question like, what does the perfect solution look like to you? If a genie appeared and made it look exactly like you wanted, explain that to me. Get them to think, get them to visualize it. Because the bottom line, it comes down to this, is who's persuading who, right? <laughs> that's what it comes yeah, down to. Yeah. And a lot of times it's the prospect that's persuading the salesperson that is not appropriate for them when the salesperson never really had the information they needed they never performed the exam that they needed to find out that perfect fit. Yeah, questions, questions, right? That's you've got to decide. And, and that's that, that showdown. That's where they're going to say, I'm going to ask the questions here and you're going to just answer them. And this, this happens to me a lot. When I go look at somebody's house, this, I, I qualify these people. And I tell them, okay, we're going to sit down for 20, 30 minutes and I'm going to ask you some questions. We'll go over a couple of things and then you can show me the house and, and, and then I'll make you a, a cash offer for your property, right? Well, a lot of times I get to these houses and people say, okay, come on in. Here's the living room. Let's go upstairs. That's that's the junction, right? That's where I have to go. Well, hang on, hang on. Before we do that, before I can tell if it's even worth it to do this, you mind if we sit down and ask you a couple of questions? And that's that's a little awkward. It, But guess what? We We want it to be. I mean, we want them to change their behavior. If this is going the way that they've always done everything, then it's not going to go the way you want it to go. You're there to get them to make a change. So uh, you got to control this thing with questions and a little bit of a tangent. i got to put my soapbox away. <laughs> well, the number show you should be listening about 70% of the time and asking questions about 30% of the time. When they accept you as the consultant and the expert, it makes a huge difference. Like one of the first things I do when I go into corporations, I do consulting, I change the way that the calls are transferred. Because a lot of companies will say something like, okay, let me transfer you to sales which puts up that big brick wall without even talking to anybody. And I say, no, we're going to transfer you to a consultant. And that does two things. That empowers the salesperson to be a consultant. And number two, it does not build that resistance. You have to get it in your mind that you're the expert, you're the consultant, 
You need to control the conversation. You are the expert. You know more than 99% of the people out there. Act like it, and people will respect you when you control that conversation, and you'll see amazing things happening in the world of persuasion. I was on the freeway yesterday, and I saw a Saturn. You know, the car Saturn. <laughs> Saturn. Yeah. Yeah, they're out of business. Now, didn't they have some kind of model where their salespeople weren't on commission? Well, they had bonuses and everything, but the cool thing that they did and the reason they grew so fast, they became very profitable very fast when they first released. And one of the reasons why is that people appreciated the experience because people were coming in with their gloves on, getting ready to negotiate, and the salesperson, I guess they weren't even salespeople, they were consultants, say, well, this is what you pay. Well, uh, no, no, everybody pays this. Well, uh, no, this is the price everybody pays, right? And people appreciated that because they had so many bad experiences that was something that made a huge difference for Saturn. So they went out of business due to corporate BS, not because these people, these consultants, weren't really motivated to make sales? Exactly. Okay, okay. I always wondered that about them because you don't you don't see many of those around uh, anymore. Yeah. It was just the easiest one to cut when they were going through all the big challenges. And the taxpayers had to save their butts. Well, I went to uh, Fort Myers, Florida two weeks ago. And the guy that picked me up picked me up in a Saturn. And, <laughs> and we're, we're going to see some properties, and we're at a stoplight maybe like two miles away from the Fort Myers airport. And the transmission on this Saturn goes out. And we're oh, stuck geez. at this stoplight in sweaty, swampy Florida waiting yeah. for AAA for like an hour. <laughs> I was Fun. cursing Saturn. I was like, you freaking Saturn. <laughs> <laughs> so you have a bad association trigger about the whole Saturn thing. Yeah, I think that's what we're getting at here. We're, we're <laughs> yeah. dancing around it, but uh, just checking. Yeah, just, yeah, just checking. You're just an anti-Saturn person. That's all. Own up. <laughs> you're an anti-Saturnite, is what. You <laughs> that's <are>. right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I think that does it for our persuasion topic for the day. What do you say to a ninja? Ooh, love the ninja. Let's hear the sound. <laughs> Can't get enough of that, of that kung fu sound for a ninja. Which Kung Fu ninja sort of screaming sound. We has stupidly have offended the martial artists, which is not a group we want to offend, yet no, we seem to have done it. Um, can't help ourselves. So um, this is just about integrity in business and about a guy who had the long-term view, because he, he didn't know this. He didn't know this one either, but I had a sidewalk laid along the side of my house. We've had a flooding problem over there for years, and I finally diagnosed it the other day as to what was going on and determined that if we put in a sidewalk over there and did a little bit of grading, sloping it away from the property, this flooding problem would go away. So I had this guy come out, and he bid me, it was a cheap bid, $1,000 to pour this sidewalk. It's like maybe 25 feet, right? So he comes out, and he tells he, they tear out a bunch of the lawn, move some sprinklers, get everything set. And he tells me the concrete's going to get delivered tomorrow. You're just going to pay them directly, and you'll pay me the balance. So the concrete comes. Remember, our overall bid was $1,000, and this is a two-day project. And the concrete guy hands me a bill for $859. <laughs> and I pay the bill, and I tell the guy, I said, hey, man, I, your bid's $1,000, right? Yeah, it's a thousand bucks. I said, okay. He's like, what was the concrete? I'm like, 859. I could see him die a little inside when I told him <laughs> it was 859. 
And I said, geez, man. And he goes, well, that, that was the bid. Concrete went up over the last couple of days, and I should have caught it. And I said, all right, man. When I, I paid him extra. I just I couldn't sleep at night knowing. I mean, he had two guys there besides himself doing the work. It's two full days of work, and you know, he's walking away with 150 bucks to pay himself and two other guys. It's a loss. It's a loss for the guy. But I really appreciated his integrity, and you know, I, I, just, I said, hey, here's some extra money, and well, guess what I do for a living? You know, It so happens I do a lot of concrete and a lot of houses, and, and I'm going to give this guy all my concrete work going forward because I know that uh, you know, he's a guy of integrity. He's not going to screw around, and he, and he holds to his bid. So do the right thing, and it comes back. You never know who you're talking to, and uh, that's our ninja for the week. So important and so hard to find nowadays. In fact, UCLA studies show that integrity was the number one thing to succeed a business long term, and that was that attribute that they found. And that's so true. When you find that you build that trust, there's no one else you're going to call. When you need cement work, whether it be your home or the properties that you look at, or you need to recommend somebody, he's always going to be on the top of the list. Even if you didn't pay him extra, in the long run, he'll make a lot more money because of that decision he made. Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. So that's our ninja. That's our show for the week. That was episode 90 of Maximize Your Influence. Thanks for listening. You can always listen to us at MaximizeYourInfluence.com where you can read our entries on the blog as well as links to any articles that we feature. And we'll we'll post the link to the article about the airplane noise for those of you that uh, don't have Journal of Psychological whatever on your coffee (laughs) table. I can't even remember. I know where you get this stuff, man. This is bizarre. Journal of Experimental Psychology. Everybody has it. You just start reading it. I'm, I'm going to go through these, and I'm going to pick out the most bizarre journal that you've ever referenced. <laughs> it's got to be pretty good. I think it's the plumber one or the sewer guys or something. <laughs> That's right. We did talk about, no, it was the City Sewer Water Maintenance Magazine thing. <laughs> There's... <laughs> Wow. That I made it into it. So now, hey, we can't get better than that. You're big time in it. What are you doing <laughs> Doing this podcast with me? You're in the Journal That's of Sewage. better than a New York Times bestseller list. made the Sewage Magazine. <laughs> yeah. Come on. <laughs> I roll it. Woo-woo. Okay, well, listen to us on iTunes. You can go on iTunes and put in Maximize Your Influence in the search bar, and you'll see the podcast pop up there. And you can subscribe, and it'll just download all the new episodes automatically to your iPhone, which I have an iPhone and I've been using Apple Pay and it's pretty cool. Or you can use uh, Windows Marketplace or Stitcher Radio. Those are the areas that we're available on or just listen directly on the website. And you can always send your feedback, your comments, your questions, your insults to us at MaximizeYourInfluence at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. And we'll catch you next time on another episode of Maximize Your Influence. See you next week. 